0: Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better. Because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, we'd like to say good evening to all of our listeners to the Practical Prepping Podcast. Do you want to do a quick shout out to some of our new listeners tonight. We've got some from Ontario, Canada. We have some from Mainz in Ryland Faults. We have Maidenhead England and Barnett England. We want to welcome you. We want you to tell your friends and neighbors about the Practical Prepping Podcast and get them to listen, too. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Tonight, we're talking about what is or who is a prepper. Bob Childers said, being a prepper is nothing more than making sure that you and your loved ones will make it through the next big thing that's out of the ordinary, planning for all of you to live through till the problem is over. Now, there are lots of ways to define prepping or preppers.
0: Yeah, there's some that use the term the end of the world as we know it. Those are looked upon as the crazy preppers. Uh, Folks believe that their um, purpose is to repopulate the earth after a cataclysmic uh, population decimation they believe there's going to be a zombie apocalypse and they're planning to live out in the forest or deep inside the ground in a bunker
1: to twaki the end of the world as we know it now here's another um and, and that's just one way to define preppers and you know that's the way that the general public looks at preppers or at least did before 2020
0: well you know remember that tv show called the doomsday preppers right the notion of doomsday you know like literally end of the world who's going to survive nuclear holocaust how are we going to go on i mean that's like the ultimate emergency situation
1: right and that program was done to make preppers look bad to begin with i think it was i really do
0: Another group is called off-gridders or homesteaders. These are the folks that live like the great-grandparents lived. They just called it life. They didn't use the word prepper. They just prepared because everyone did. You had to.
1: They were prepared.
0: They usually lived on farms or small homesteads, so they raised much of their own meat, their vegetables, fruit trees. They did their own canning. They did their own preserving, drying, smoking, curing herbal medicines. I mean, these people didn't live close to some urban settings. They had to be their own doctor, their own nurse. They had to be their own transportation. They had to be their own seamstresses, cooks, anything that it took to survive. They had to have those skills.
1: Mechanic, repairman, had to be able to repair a plow.
0: Veterinarian for Uh all the livestock.
1: Exactly. You know, these folks can likely live for years in a grid-down situation. Now, a prepper is not someone who owns three ARs and a big bucket of ammo.
0: Or has a year or two's worth of food put in a basement prepared for a shortage. But if that is all, they may not have enough water. Or water at all. Some preppers have found they forgot to prep water to begin with.
1: That was one of the complaints coming out of Texas afterwards, is that they found that they did not have enough water. You know, you and I have talked about it before, where most of the books suggest a gallon per person per day. You and I have found that we need more than a gallon per person, that we need to stock about a gallon and a half per person per day for a minimum
0: i think that those statistics may have been figured on simply drinking purposes drinking water they didn't factor in the preparation of dried foods hygiene that sort of thing right. that does take an extra amount of water and that
1: does not include flushing toilets mm-hmm. that has to be gray water it has to be rainwater. it has to be creek water you can use water from your swimming pool to flush the toilets, where you really don't need to be using the water from the swimming pool to drink.
0: No, because it's been treated and right. with all sorts of um, bacteriocides and things like that.
1: And even boiling and filtering, that's a bad way to go.
0: So what is the definition of an honest-to-goodness prepper? An honest-to-goodness prepper is a person who wants to make sure the family is taken care of. They want to make sure that the family will get through the what-ifs that can happen, the daily regular emergencies of life. And there's someone who will take responsibility to provide for themselves when other people out there are depending on someone else. You know, we're seeing that more and more where a lot of folks are coming into prepper forums and they're saying, what is all this hullabaloo about prepping? If something happens, the government will take care of me. I've got this person or that organization will, will look after me.
1: But remember, and we covered this one day, it takes FEMA on average on a major disaster about nine days to get in and get set up and get things going now you'll have different organizations that will be coming in and preparing food southern baptist red cross salvation army but they're usually taking two or three days to get set
0: up it takes a while to mobilize for one thing like after a big hurricane or something It's hard to even get to the area because of all the road damage and all the the trees and the power lines down.
1: And we saw that with the tornadoes going across Alabama recently. They locked down a lot of that. And if you didn't live in there, you weren't going in there that first day. Exactly. But now let me ask you this. What about a snowstorm? Nobody's delivering food with a snowstorm and the power's out and this... I mean, we've both gone through week-long snowstorms or week-long power outages.
0: And the most recent surprising example of that was the state of Texas. You know, I think for the first time in many, many, many decades, the entire state of Texas was under a blizzard warning and had blizzards in the month of February. And they were caught very unprepared overall and many many texans complained on themselves that they were not prepared for this and just didn't take it seriously
1: well who expects snow in texas
0: nobody especially the whole entire state
1: and if you're not prepared then you are dependent on somebody else what does it take for most disasters or weather events what do we need to be doing what is our level need to be for most disasters or weather events?
0: Well, you know, there's those that have studied this, and they've actually come up with an average, and it says to be prepared to be self-sufficient in any event for a minimum of seven days and 14 days is better.
1: And that's for the general public. That's not necessarily a prepper. Exactly. But that, you know, the the FEMA themselves, they are pushing now for more preparedness where they used to say three days. They're pushing for seven days. Ideally, we should be prepared to be self-sufficient for 60 to 90 days and maybe even more. And if we do that, that covers things like job losses, economic downturn, inflation, which we're about to be seeing as well as natural and man-made disasters.
0: I think that this last COVID year has certainly brought that to the forefront, that job loss and economic downturn have definitely touched, if not every life. We know someone, or we ourselves, have been impacted by that. I know we were, too. I I actually had an economic downturn last year as a result of COVID-19. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lawley. I'm Krista, and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage. The roof has gotten blown off. You find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for a one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Krista Lawley, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, Add these to your collection. We sure appreciate it. The person who takes a well-rounded approach to prepping, who is that person?
1: They're preppers that don't get so caught up in prepping for what might happen in the future that they ignore relationships or fail to live in the here and now. All about life is all about prepping. They're not well balanced. We did podcast recently on balanced prepping there has to be a balance here
0: exactly you cannot ignore what's happening with your family or your life or what's going on in the present day you can't take leave of your daily responsibilities for fear of what may happen in the future so you do have to have some balance and some understanding about yes preparedness is an important feature but don't at not at the cost
1: don't prepare so much for your family that you ignore your family that's kind of the thing we're saying now let's talk about since we're talking about prepping and we may have some new preppers here that are seeing the benefits of this and let's go through some of the considerations some of the things that we need to have on hand to be stocking up on and remembering you don't have to go buy all of this at one time
0: no, we have often encouraged you to pick up one or maybe two extra cans of something that you eat and will like and put those one or two extra cans away and do that every time you go buying groceries and you'll find that in a month's time you've got eight to ten maybe twelve cans of something that is extra that you've put away and right. that's your start
1: and make use of sales buy one get one I saw uh, I was with you and you showed me they had you buy 10 and they were about half price Uh you buy 10 and it didn't have to be the exact same item it had to be the same tag and so we bought 10 instead of our normal two because it was such a good price
0: You know, a lot of people are members of some of the bulk warehouse clubs, Mm -hmm. Sam's, Costco, BJ's. And if you're going to buy in bulk, you know, buy the things that you're going to use. And this is really good when it comes to paper goods, the TP, the paper towels, paper plates, cups, utensils, things like that that might be disposable. Uh, But also to, to buy in bulk the types of items that you would want. And I want to also stress that, Buying seasonings and spices is very important. Being able to Eat the food that you like, but it's got to taste good, too. So don't forget about those seasonings and spices when you're prepping.
1: Some things just need salt and pepper. Mm -hmm, and Some things need garlic salt, garlic powder.
0: And we encourage you to shop your own prepper pantry. What do we mean? There's going to come times you're going to have something in your prepper pantry that you need as an ingredient. Well, go ahead and use it. Just rotate it out. That way, you're going to rotate back in at some point a prepper item, and that way you're keeping your food stores fresh and current
1: which is all the more reason to be storing things that your family actually eats exactly it's no good to store twenty nine cans of beets if your family won't eat beets. Mm-hmm. Just send them to me. I'll take care of those. <laughs> he, will. he will. But some folks are not going to eat certain things. I heard one the other day that the lady said, I don't eat beans. I won't eat beans. What else can I store? There's pick, a
0: thousand other things pick you
1: can any store other vegetables, any mm-hmm. other things that you would like to eat? but store what your family actually eats. Now, long-term food is fine, but if you rotate your food preps, you'll be fine. Uh-huh. And this works whether you're being prepared for a few days or a month or a year's worth.
0: Let me also input right here as well a reiteration that you do want to prep water. And we usually do about a gallon and a half. It wouldn't hurt my feelings to do two gallons per day per person in storage in in terms of bottled water, either gallons of water or those 16-ounce bottles of water. Some people are actually prepping those five gallons jugs of water. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, if that's the way you want to store it, by all means. But do not forget water storage.
1: Right. I went to the grocery store the other day to pick up some things for you and my two prepper items that I picked up, because every time we go to the store, we pick up two prepper items, usually a couple of cans of food or something. But this was two of the two and a half gallon water bricks with a little faucet on the bottom. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're still in the back of your car I need to bring in. (laughs) But they stack, they store very well, and that's two and a half gallons right there. So that's a day almost for the two of us if we had to per brick.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly.
1: Now, second thing that you need to consider, and we're going across considerations for prepping, shelter. Now, your house is normally your shelter. And so we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about shelter if you're trying to get home. Your shelter, you need to be staying warm, You need, and we've done podcasts on when the power is out and things like that, but you need to be able to stay warm. One of the things that we can look at, and I know we're going out of, at least in the northern hemisphere, we're going into spring, but one of the things that in going into winter, you can put plastic over your windows. You can put an area of sheet plastic sheeting that adds another layer of air between the window and the room. You can do that with tape. There are some things that you can wet it and stick it against the window, and I've heard of using bubble wrap, and I want to try that. I want to cut some bubble mm-hmm. wrap, wet the back of it, stick it against the window this next year, and that adds another layer of insulation for keeping the house warm, even when the power is on, and that'll keep your power bill down some. Absolutely. But we want to look at staying warm. That might mean wearing additional clothing. It might mean sleeping bags. It might mean a tent in the living room, just whatever way it takes to do that.
0: And you want some heating options as well, and that's to have at least one non electric backup heater. We have a Mr. Buddy, and it works off of propane. We've used it. It's very efficient, it's an extremely good heater. But you do need to be aware that on full, like ours is what, 18,000
1: BTU? Right, we have the Mr. Heater Big Buddy.
0: Big Buddy, yes. It's
1: 18,000, 9,000, or 4,000 BTU. Right.
0: It's adjustable. So the, you. we learned that on full high, we can get about two and a half days out of a 20-pound.
1: About 20 hours. It burns about a pound per hour on high.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And so keep that in mind. Now, they also make great kerosene heaters. Uh, I've used these as supplemental heat in the house. I've used them as heat in the wood shop during the winter. And they do put out a lot of heat. But you need to be careful to get the K1 kerosene so there's no smell. You don't want to just go down to the kerosene. It's hard to go to find an old filling station type service station anymore to where you could just buy kerosene. But if you buy just kerosene like it's burned in other things, you'll get an odor from that as well. So stick with the K1 kerosene. We also need to have ways to make repairs on our home. We need tarps, hammer, nails, ladder, plastic sheeting. We need to be able to cover damaged roofs. We need to be able to cover damaged windows. And of course, you need duct tape. Mm -hmm. I've seen car windows replaced with duct tape.
0: (laughs) Yes. Also, you need to have some damage mitigation. Uh, Hurricane shutters on the outside of your home is good. If you don't have that, you can pre-purchase some plywood. And here's a little note. Don't wait until evacuation day to decide you're going to stay at the hurricane and then think you're going to go down the lows and buy that plywood because the plywood's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. You need to buy plywood on a day that there is no hurricane or not even one suspected. You need to go ahead. If you know a hurricane can impact your area, you need to go ahead and get those plywood and those tarps and those tools and those home protection items while they're available and there's no run on them.
1: Right. It's going to be hard to buy plywood the week before the hurricane hits and impossible to buy it the week after the hurricane hits.
0: Okay. And so you also want to make sure that you have clean gutters and storm drains and drainage ditches. You may have to just do some inspection, you know, around the inside and the outside of your home to determine what would happen if a large storm impact, even if it was just heavy rainfall or severe wind
1: and we've had both here lately we but if have. those de- if those gutters are not cleaned out you can have water going into places you don't want to have water
0: mm-hmm. you can have roof damage and all kinds of foundational damage
1: rot and things like that and with drains and drainage ditches cleaned out i mean our backyard has looked like you could fish in it for the last few days
0: we've got a lot of rain
1: But we do have good drainage out there, and so it drains off very, very quickly. Now let's talk about shelter for get-home situations. If we're off somewhere and for some reason we have to go on foot to be able to get home, what are some of the things that we can do to provide shelter for getting home?
0: Well, what we also want there is our get-home bag. We've talked about the GHB before, the get-home bag. And the get-home bag is exactly what you think it is. It's the items that you would need that would be the most important that you can carry in a backpack or some sort of carrier that you want to carry. And in it, you should have things like tarps or plastic sheeting, ponchos, emergency blankets. These will help you build a bit of a shelter if you had to, for example, overnight in the woods. If you've got some plastic sheeting and some tarps and some ponchos, you can make shift fairly decent. It's no hotel worthy, but you can at least get some shelter from the wind and the rain and the cold. And uh, those, among other things, should be in your get home bag.
1: It's a lot easier to string a piece of paracord between two trees about three or four feet off the ground and throw a 10 or 12-foot tarp over that to be able to provide Uh shelter than it is to start cutting down limbs and trying to build a debris shelter. But it's good to know how to build a debris shelter as well or to build shelters from natural materials. So let's recap here. We're talking about having food and water. We're talking about being able to shelter, sheltering at home or providing shelter if we're on the road trying to get home. But now, back to the house, how about electrical needs?
0: Well, when your power is down, usually for most people, it's just an hour or two, maybe overnight. But the first thing we start worrying about is the food in our refrigerators and our freezers. So you may want to consider some sort of a generator, something that is powerful enough to power the things that you want running. Uh, An air conditioner if it's in the dead of summer, uh, a heating system if it's in the dead of winter.
1: Now you're talking pretty large generator systems if you're talking about running the whole house. Well, everyone's
0: got to have their own assessment right? what their needs would be. If you live, say, 19 miles away from the nearest grocery store, and if your power down situation means it might be a week or two, Before you see electricity, you may have to be that person that considers the bigger generator Mm -hmm. because it's going to be more on your shoulders to have it running. Now, if you live in an urban setting in the middle of a downtown and you're in a loft apartment, the likelihood is you're going to get your power restored first. You're closer to the grid. You're closer to the repair. Our son-in-law, who works in the energy industry, explained it's like spokes on a wheel. You've got that major hub, and then as the spoke on the wheel gets further and further out, that's indicating who gets their power restored. So if you do live out in the rural communities, in a farm community, and and you cannot see your nearest neighbor, it's likely that when your power goes out, your power's going to stay out. So everyone assess for yourselves what your needs are. Some of you may not need a generator at all.
1: Well, that's true, but you might want to consider at least having a minimal generator that can run the refrigerator And the freezer, at alternating times, you can plug one up Mm -hmm. for two or three hours, and you can plug the other one up for two or three hours. Even on a very, very small generator, you can do that.
0: Exactly. Also, to have extra batteries, all different kinds of batteries, extra batteries, and an inverter. Explain what an inverter is, Mark.
1: Well, an inverter, you can attach it to a 12-volt battery, like a car battery. And it puts out 120 volts.
0: It's actually like a plug.
1: It's like Mm -hmm. you can plug in the household appliance. Now, it takes a pretty good size inverter to be running appliances. Most of the time, these inverters are going to run your computer. They're going to run your television. Uh, something like that, but in some of these truck stops, you can find some inverters that will run everything you could want inside that truck. Some of these guys live in these trucks. These men and women, you know, they leave home and they're gone for a month at a time, and so they have their little refrigerator. They have their cook stove. They have... Their television, they have an air conditioner, those kinds of things, microwave TV, DVD player, and they're running a lot of things. And you can buy some very, very large inverters, but keep in mind, that would drain a car battery very, very quickly. They're idling their engine to continue to charge their batteries as they go. But you could build a battery bank, and or even in situation, you could go out and pull the car battery, and I've done this, pull the car battery out of the car and run minimal things like a television. And I did that to occupy an 11-year-old one time when we were without power for an extended period of time.
0: Let's talk about medical now. It's very, very important for everyone to have a good first aid kit. That's not just a prepper thing. That's just a common sense thing. You've got to have some way to treat small cuts, bruises, wounds stomach ailments. Right.
1: And you want to be able to do first aid on major wounds if you need to. You need to stop bleeding. You need to be able to sustain life until professional help gets there. Or in some of the prepper situations, you may not be able to just go to the ER. Uh So you may need to handle that there on your own. So medical is a great thing to be looking at. Then we talk about security. Now, security is kind of a interesting thing. There are a lot of different lines of thought, but you need to be able to protect yourself and your family, and you need security that is adequate for the risk. You just have to evaluate what your risk is, and you have to be aware of what your country, your city, your state laws are, in what you are able to have. We are cognizant that some countries where we're heard, you're not allowed to have firearms of any type for any reason. We're aware that some of the cities in which we are heard, you're basically not allowed to have them either. It's very, very rare that some of these large cities will issue a firearms owner's identification or a carry permit or something like that. So, you need to find a way and and evaluate your risk if you're at risk of zombies attacking you're going to need guns and lots of ammo and that's probably what some of these guys that own a locker full of ARs and a truck full of ammo you know they're just hoping that it's going to be the zombies and that might be the guy that needs to be your friend if you're subject to a zombie attack but for normal disasters You just need to be able to protect yourself and your family. That's the whole thing. Normal threats, you know, we're not out here in general fighting a war. We went out to eat the other night, and and quite honestly, very, very, very low probability of us having any kind of issue. I was carrying a five-shot thirty eight revolver. Now, I know a lot of preppers would go, what? I'd never leave home with that very low threat. The assessment of that was that I could carry that 38 and not have a problem. And I could provide security for you. I could protect you. And the big thing would be to make them duck and get out of dodge. What else?
0: Something else we need to consider, too, is our sanitation options. We are human beings. We eat, we drink, and we produce waste. So we have to talk about that. That is a reality. So we have to consider what is going to be our plan for waste disposal and for our personal hygiene. There are actually a number of resources online where you can find The the one that I found that most recently that I think is probably the most sensible option for someone of my age, I'm in the plus 60 group, ladies. I have seen the five-gallon bucket pool noodle toilet situation, and I prefer something different. I like the plastic $5, five-below lawn chair that's cut out with the bucket under it, (laughs) and it actually has a toilet seat on the lawn chair.
1: haven't thought about that.
0: I meant to share that with you. It's a wonderful little resource that someone came up with. It makes a lot of sense. The only thing we need now is some sort of like a privacy screen because I don't want to be taking care of business all out in front of everybody.
1: If we're at home, you can put that in the bathroom. In the
0: bathroom. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly.
1: And another thing that you could do if we absolutely had to is to raise the lid on the toilet if the husband hasn't already left it up <laughs> and put a plastic bag in the toilet yeah. and close the The seat, put the seat back down on, go in the bag, and then tie the bag off and have a way to dispose of that. Now, in many situations, keep in mind, garbage trucks aren't going to be running. It depends on how long we're dealing with here. You might have to be burying it in the backyard.
0: Well, something else you could consider you can borrow your cat's clumping cat litter and you can actually put that like on the 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 chair toilet that i've described before instead of just a plain bag you could actually have that clumping cat litter and you can just scoop over whatever you've done it clumps you can scoop it out and you've got clean litter left behind some of you are saying well i don't have a cat well buy cat litter anyway buy the good clumping kind because you can scoop that out, you can just scoop the waste out, and it leaves behind the unused clean litter, and you can actually get a lot of use out of that. It helps to control odors. It helps to control the liquid. If it makes it easier for you to be able to dispose of the waste, why not? You know, you know, That's part of your prepper, is to have some clumping litter.
1: Right. Just think through things that, what would you do? How would you handle sanitation for you and your family, if you were in a grid-down situation for an extended period of time. Now, we cover some of these things because we know that tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, wildfires, snowstorms, they will happen as we have seen recently we've had i don't know how many tornadoes came. i think it was 26 27 tornadoes that came across just alabama thursday of last of this past week and
0: there were some fatalities
1: and there were some fatalities the week before we had six or eight tornadoes that went across Alabama. Thankfully, there were no fatalities that week. And I give credit to a number of people, including the National Weather Service and the broadcast meteorologists that come on and do such a good job of providing information.
0: They are saving lives.
1: They are saving lives.
0: They are saving lives, and I I give them a lot of credit, and I encourage them to keep on doing such a good job.
1: And I will never complain that they are interrupting what I wanted to watch, because these things will happen, and we hope that this episode uh, will maybe help you and your family get through some of these things much easier. Preppers are not all crazy, end-of-the-world type folks now. There are those that do that. And, you know, there may come a day that we wish we had prepared for the end of the world. Uh, We prepared for after the end of the world, but we've not prepared for living and repopulating the earth and things like that if it were to come down. Not really sure that I would personally want to live through that.
0: Well, we're just trying to be practical preppers.
1: That's all we're after is practical. We want to be able to live through that 7, 10, 14 day, possibly something that would keep us from having power, being able to go to the store. And we also want to be prepared for that economic downturn or that job loss, which could come to any one of us along the way. Anything else you want to add tonight?
0: Well, I just want to say, not only does stuff happen, but storms happen. So please stay prepared. We've added a way for our listeners who would like to support the podcast to do so. We love our coffee. So you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep and buy us a cup of coffee. Wink. That's buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.